In this City First Church series, any given Sunday, we're going back to the fundamentals. It's time to get off the bench and get ready to experience the victory that is already yours. This is your moment. All right. Hello, City First. Man, it's good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming today. And I want to say hello to everyone at our City First Church family, everyone at City First Church Anywhere locations, literally around the nation, even in other parts of the world. Come on, everybody, say hello to Cape Coral, too. Hi, Cape Coral. And God behind bars, Dixon and Hardy. We say hello here from Spring Creek. And you know what? We're just excited that you are here. And we're in this series called Any given Sunday, and obviously it has a football theme, as you can tell, but football is just the start of the conversation. Um, It is just to kind of like talk about how for us to grow spiritually in our relationship with Jesus, we're using football as a metaphor. Now, there's this little football match going on today. You guys know about it by any chance, right? All right, okay. Well, you know what? In the NFL, there's all these rivalries. You have like, you know, if you know anything about football, for historic rivalries, like, you know, like there's like the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys and like the, the Eagles or, or maybe the Chiefs and the Raiders or, you know, the 49ers and at one point the Rams and then the Rams kind of moved away and now they're back and there's now this rivalry there. And in the meantime, the 49ers kind of took on like the Seahawks as their arch rivals. Well, the granddaddy of all rivals is playing today and that is the Bears against the Packers, right? I mean, this is the most historic like rivalry in the history of the NFL. So let me just go ahead and take a poll. How many of you right now are, you're going to be rooting today for the Packers? Come on, let me hear you. All right, how many of you rooting for the Bears? All right, oh yeah. See, most of you are saved, most of you are saved. But anyway, uh, (laughs) well, you know what? Today I am talking about rooting against your arch rival. That's the title of my message. What an appropriate subject, right? I mean, what a great day. You know, uh, last weekend, uh, the Packers actually had the earlier time slot in the central time zone, and so they were the early game. And then the Bears had kind of like the middle time slot, like the 3 or 3.30 time slot. And so when I got home from church last week from City First, I got home, turned on the TV, and the Packers were on, and so I was watching the Packers game, you know? And they were playing the Bengals, and, um, and it was a crazy game. I mean, like, like literally like the cooker, the kickers could not make a field goal to save their lives on either team. And, and so anyway, um, it went into overtime and I found myself getting really engaged in the game, you know, and, and, and it went into overtime and the Bengals kicker had like the opportunity to seal the deal and to win the game. And like, I'm standing like on my feet in my living room, watch this. I'm like, come on. I don't even know the kicker's name. I don't even know anybody on the Cincinnati Bengals team except for me the quarterback. You know, I don't know any of their names or anything like that, but I am rooting, right? And, and he missed it. I'm like yelling at the TV. I'm like, come on, come on. You got to be kidding me, you know? And I'm texting all my Packers friends and they're like, there is a God, you know, and, and such. <laughs> so anyway, I was so frustrated. And later on, I thought about it. I'm like, why am I frustrated? I'm like, I, I, I don't even like the Bengals. Like, like, you know, it, I don't. I couldn't even. I couldn't even tell you. You know. I mean, their their owner. I couldn't tell you like anything about them. I mean, I don't really follow any Ohio teams for the most part. You know, and and what I found is what was so crazy is is that even though my team, the Bears, were not playing in that game, I was actually rooting against our arch rival. 
Does that make sense? And, and I thought about that. It's kind of funny. There's an old saying that the enemy of an enemy is a new friend. You ever heard that before? And, and, and I thought about this. I thought many times we do this in life. We actually root against our arch rival. And, and, and what happens is if something happens between, let's say, us and another person in our life, and they kind of become a rival, you could say. They become an enemy. Um, now, maybe they hurt us. Maybe they disappointed us. Maybe they did something to us. Or maybe they didn't do something that we thought that they should. Or, or maybe even, you know, they betrayed us. It could be a family member. It could be a friend, a coworker, It could be a fellow student. Somebody in our life that almost becomes like that arch rival, you could say. Maybe we don't even know their name. Maybe they just vote different than us. Like maybe they're on the other side of the aisle. Or, or, or maybe, you know what, they're better than us at work or at school or on the, on the playing field or whatever. We don't even know who they are. Or, or maybe they're a teammate or maybe they're against us or whatever else. But they just outperform us and we're jealous. I don't know. But somehow they land on the arch rival list in our life. Like this little list that's kind of private. It's not something we necessarily talk about. And we begin to silently root against them, you could say. Like, like maybe he broke up with you and he started going out with another girl and it broke your heart. But now through the grapevine, you're hearing that he and his new girlfriend are not getting along and silently you're going, yes, right? Or maybe that employee quit your business and left you in a lurch, like literally gave you two weeks notice, if that, and they're like, I'm getting hired at this other place, and it may even be like a competitor in the market, and all of a sudden, they decide they're going to leave your business, and then they even talk about it on the way out. They're like, I'm going to this better company. They're telling all your other employees, right? And they're kind of like poisoning the water on the way out the door. And then you hear that they went to this other company, and that company now, after COVID, is maybe struggling a little bit. And so they're having to do layoffs, and that ex-employee of yours is one of the layoffs, and silently you're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You're thinking, you're quoting verses even, right? Or maybe that person betrayed you. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. And uh, now that person is being betrayed by somebody, and you pray. You're like, God, thank you for sowing and reaping. I just thank you for that principle. I mean, we do this. Let's be honest for a moment. We do. We, we, like, we kind of celebrate when someone who is on our arch rival list struggles. We see this in politics right now. Oh, baby, do we see this in politics right now. I mean, people are so angry with someone who sits on the other side of the aisle that you even see online that people are celebrating when their arch rival's personal life is starting to deteriorate or even their health is failing. You start seeing in the comments like, well, serves them right, right? And it's like, whoa, like, like we have lost all decorum right now in our culture, right? And if you don't believe me, read some of the comments in the news articles, when a public figure faces a challenge or has a setback or maybe even a health scare, and, and watch the public comments that are down there about people celebrating that individual's struggle all because they're deemed to be an arch rival. I mean, what's happened to our society, really? I mean, you know, 
I mean, we don't just hate the other person's views or what they did. We actually hate the person. And I just have a question today, City First. Is this the way we want to live? I mean, is this the way we really want to live? Do we want to live offended and angry? And to add complexity to this, not only do we have all these arch rivals, but on top of that, our culture, in my opinion, is the most easily offended culture to ever walk the face of the earth. Like, like we have such thin skin. Everybody is offended somehow. Like, like literally, like, you know, what is it? it, it did the barista offend you today when they didn't make the coffee right? Did, did the person at the Target checkout line offend you? Did, did the pastor offend you? Did the boss offend you? Did the employee offend you? Did the neighbor offend you? Did your best friend? I mean, we are so offended. We just are offended. So, I mean, this is like, this is like literally like gasoline and fire that we are offended and we're also easily offended. <laughs> and it's like, Boom, it blows up, right? And, and you know, this is what I know. I know that offense can even slow down the strongest Christ follower. Can even make them stumble, you could say. And, and you know, we have to deal with our offenses. Otherwise, this is the deal. They grow. They grow. I mean, no offense stays the same. It doesn't stay the same size. It either shrinks or it grows. It does not stay the same. So before we dive into this, can I just say something? I need to make a disclaimer before I talk about offenses. I'm talking about real offenses today. I'm talking about offenses that are truly challenging. I'm not talking about petty offenses. I'm not talking about petty things that many times plague people. In fact, I wouldn't even say this of us Christians. Sometimes Christians get offended over the stupidest things. So this is the thing. I'm not talking like petty offenses. I'm talking like real offenses. And all of us have had opportunities to be really offended. Some of us are even right now really offended. And I'm not talking about simple offense. Like the story I heard one day of a pastor who was preaching on a, on a Sunday morning just like me today. And right in the middle of his message, somebody like in the front row, this guy stands up and walks out. And, and as he is preaching, he can't get that out of his head that this guy like literally stood up and walked down. He's like, it was, did I offend him? Did I say something that made him mad? After the service, a woman came up to him and said, hey, pastor, I want to apologize on behalf of my husband that he walked out during your sermon. He just can't help it. And for a second, the pastor's like, okay, all right, I feel a little bit better. Maybe the guy's not mad. And then the lady continued and said, you know what? He's been sleepwalking ever since he was a child. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not talking petty offenses today. I want to talk about some real offenses. So let's dive into it. Let's talk about, first of all, we must understand the source of our real offenses. All right, the source of our real offenses. Let me talk about three buckets, I think, three kind of sources, you could say, that most of us um, find real offense from. And, and, and so the first one is this, unmet expectations. This is a huge one. In fact, this is why I think most of America is, is offended, because we have unrealistic expectations of how life is supposed to treat us, how God is supposed to treat us, how the government is supposed to treat us, how our friends are supposed to treat us. We have these unmet expectations. Now, sometimes those unmet expectations are real. All right, so I'm not making light of that. Sometimes they're real. Sometimes you're like, man, I have the ex expectation that you treat me with dignity. 
And if you don't treat me with dignity, well, that's an unmet expectation, and yeah, I could be offended by that. So again, there are unmet expectations. The second source is this, when someone hurts us. Now, this is really real, because many of us have been hurt by someone who we trusted, who we love, someone up close, maybe even someone that we don't know, but they hurt us. And when someone hurts us, I mean really hurts us, it can create uh, an offense. It's like a seedbed for offense, you could say. Like they say something, they act a certain way, they, they you know, your relative said it at, at like Thanksgiving dinner, whatever it was, and like literally it's like 10 years ago and you have not forgotten. I mean, you know, it hurt you. It hurt you. So really when people hurt us, that is a source of our offense. The third thing is this, when we perceive that someone close to us was hurt or wronged. In other words, we stand in solidarity with someone that was offended, so we become offended. I would say this is taking on an offense. Now, can I say that this is somewhat dangerous to do? Because um, sometimes it's justified, but many times it's not. Like, people are like, I can't believe that that company laid off my friend. Well, maybe your friend really was not a great worker. But, but he's not, or she's not going to tell you that, right? They're not going to be like, hey, you know what? I, I got fired because I suck. I mean, they're not going to say that. Instead, they're going to be like, I can't believe my boss put unrealistic expectations. You're listening to this. You're like, yeah. And so you take on that offense. Well, this is the thing. Be careful with this one. This is a whole sermon in itself. I don't have time to talk about it, but be careful with this one. Because many times you don't know all the circumstances, but sometimes... Sometimes you take on an offense because someone was, was hurt and it's a justice issue. Does that make sense? And in those justice issues, I go, okay, well, then you can stand in solidarity. So these are like three sources of when many times, you know, we are offended. These are the three sources, and there's probably many more, and I just don't have the time to talk about it. But, but we got to understand now the impact of offense, because we know maybe the source of our offense, but I will tell you, offense has an impact. It's like, it's like it has a ripple effect impact in our lives, no matter who we are. And, and one of the things that I've noticed in, well, in my years of living is that offended people are not happy people. They just aren't. You'll never find someone who is truly offended that is also truly happy. I just think, I think we got to understand that's, an, that's, that's a result, that's a symptom of being offended. In fact, um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, a few years ago, I was surfing around on the Mayo Clinic website uh, regarding the topic of offense, honestly. I was like, I'm just wondering what the medical society has to say about offense. And I came across this like um, kind of article, you could say. It's on the Mayo website, and um, it's under the topic of forgiveness. I thought that's interesting. Here we have, you know, this, this world-renowned medical clinic talking about the subject of forgiveness, which normally that kind of like subject is talked about in churches or in houses of faith, right? And, and it says this, it's by Dr. Catherine Pitterman. Uh, she writes, when you're really hurt by someone you love and trust, it may become, you may become angry, sad, or confused. If you dwell on hurtful events or situations, resentment, vengeance, and hostility may take root. If you allow negative feelings to crowd out positive feelings, you may find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness and sense of injustice. If you're unforgiving, you may pay the price repetitively by bringing anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience you have. 
Your life may become so wrapped up and wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You may become depressed or anxious. You may feel your life lacks meaning or purpose or that you're at odds with your spiritual beliefs. You may lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. And the effects of holding on to an offense are unhealthy relationships, lack of spiritual and psychological well-being, more stress and hostility, higher blood pressure, possible depression, anxiety, and chronic pain, higher risk of alcohol and substance abuse. This is off of a of a medical like blog that's on Mayo Clinic. I mean, like not good stuff comes from being offended is what I'm trying to say here. And most importantly, when you hold on to an offense, you can't receive God's blessing. It's really true. I mean, you, you may be offended. In fact, all of us will be offended at some point. We're going to be offended. I mean, you know, the goal is not to be offended because that's impossible. You will be offended. It's more important, though, that you do not stay offended. Like, you will be offended, but you cannot stay offended. And here's the reason why. Because God can't bless an offended person. He just can't. Because you can't hang on to your offense and hang on to his blessing at the same time. They're too big. God wants to bless you in a big way. But if you're hanging on to a big offense, you can't hang on to both. In fact, I would say offense is kind of like an entry-level drug that leads to greater addictions like bitterness, like anger, like vengeance and retaliation, like hate, like unforgiveness. And you got to decide what you're going to carry. Are you going to carry... An offense, which is big. Or are you going to carry God's blessing, which is bigger? And so the thing is, is you really can't, can't carry both. I mean, you just can't do it. They're too big. So the thing is, is this, you got to decide what you're going to do. I'm going to get rid of this or it's going to be a distraction. Ready, Lisa? Oh, there you are. There you are, Paige. Wake up, Paige. All right. Now she's offended. <laughs> when you are offended, you will eventually stumble spiritually. And this is a truism. Can't avoid it. If you stay offended, you're going to stumble spiritually. And there's this, uh, this verse in, in Psalms 119, which, by the way, the Psalms are full of a lot of um, people and language of people that have been hurt and language of hurt. And so, it, you know, it, it, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't paint it as, as you know, roses and unicorns and Skittles, all right? It's, it, it's, it's not like life is perfect. In fact, the book of Psalms, uh, Jen talked about this even a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's full of lament, and some of us are lamenting today because we've been hurt and we're offended. And it says in Psalms 119, for those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. In other words, they, they, they love the word of God, they love the scripture, and they do not stumble. In another version, in the King James Version, it says this, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. 
Isn't it interesting that the translators of the Bible, as they're translating into different versions, I mean, the King James Version was like, you know, like invented hundreds of years ago. We don't really talk that way anymore. So when they started to bring it into modern language, they used like the root word of the original language and they maybe made it more modern. And so here's what's interesting is that the word offense and the word stumble are used by the Bible translators interchangeably. Offended, stumble, stumble, offended. Isn't that interesting? And that's exactly what you do. Will you stumble when you become offended? So, you know, there's a few steps that I want to talk about here about how to get rid of offense in your life and how to make sure it doesn't take root. Because again, you're going to be offended from time to time, but how to make sure you don't stay offended. Now, before I do it, I want to make a second disclaimer. I just made it another disclaimer about, you know, we're talking about big offenses here, not petty offenses. Well, here's my second disclaimer of the morning, and that is this, is that the steps I'm going to give you sound super easy, and they're not. <laughs> I mean, like, like I, know, I, I would much rather be honest with you rather than like it's an equational thing. It's just like, yeah, do this, do this, do this, and your life is going to be great. No, no, no. This is the thing. I'm going to give you the steps, but they're going to be hard. They're simple in the sense of understanding them, but they're hard to practice. And it's going to take time, okay? So, so I would like dip back into last week's message that I spoke, and I talked about that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I would say that you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk out these steps that I'm about ready to give you. That this is something that every day you need to go, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can walk out these steps, all right? So steps to losing your offense, number one is this, approach. You don't want to do this. I know already some of you are like, I'm out, all right? You, you don't want to, but you need to approach the person that offended you. All right, really, this is, this is the biblical way of doing it. Matthew 18, Jesus prescribes for us what to do when we are offended or we are wronged. And it says, basically here in Matthew 18, it says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Privately and point out the offense. It's super important that you do that. Now, now here's the thing. I'm gonna, again, I, I think I'm realistic. I think I'm one of these pastors. In fact, many of you even write in or make comments about this on email or whatever else, that, that I, I, I make it easy for you to have handles to these spiritual like truisms. I, I try to do that. I also want to be realistic. Just because you approach a person doesn't mean it's going to get better. It doesn't mean that the person's going to acknowledge that they were wrong. It doesn't mean they're going to say, I'm sorry. In fact, you know what? There might be an opportunity to find common ground, and again, it may not happen. But you need to take the responsibility, if you've been offended, to basically go say, hey, listen, I want you to know that, that this hurt me, that this, that this offended me, and to give an opportunity, at least, for that person to understand it and for them to say you're sorry, or them to say they're sorry, and maybe for you even to say you're sorry about something, but to find common ground. And, and, and it may or may not work, okay? But that's the first step. Second step is this forgive. Forgive. And again, I know I lost some of you on the first step. I might lose some more of you on this second step. Because you're like, the last thing I want to do is forgive this person. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said to me? Maybe even for some of you, what that person did to you has hurt you for decades. Like, I mean, like literally, 
It's real. And I'm not trying to say it's not real, but, but here's the thing. It says in Matthew chapter 18 again, verses 21 through 22, then Peter came to him, meaning Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now let me give you context to this conversation. The rabbis or the spiritual leaders in Jesus' day used to have rules on how many times you could forgive somebody. In fact, the rabbis taught the people this, that you could forgive somebody up to three times. Like literally, they said, they, they made it like an equation. You could do it three times. You, you know, they hurt you, you forgive them. They hurt you again, you forgive them. They hurt you again, you forgive them. Three times and then you don't have to forgive them anymore. That's literally what they said. And, and so Peter, trying to a little bit be like Jesus' like teacher's pet here, he knows that the rabbis say three times. So what is he doing? He's up in the ante a little bit. And he doubles it and adds one because seven, by the way, is the perfect number of God in Jewish tradition. So, G, you know, Peter being Jewish was like, how many times? Seven times, Jesus, the perfect number of God, wink, wink. And at that point, Jesus goes, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What's Jesus saying? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you need to forgive an infinite amount of times. Infinite amount of times. Now, some of you, again, I just lost you again. You're like, heck no. Infinite amount of times? No way. No, this is the reason why. You see, you don't understand. Forgiveness is not for the benefit of the other person that's hurt you. This is why Jesus says, no, you forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. I mean, 70 times 70. In other words, an infinite amount of times is what he's really driving at there. This is the reason why. Forgiveness is for your own spiritual health. Forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. Because Jesus knew that forgiveness is necessary so that offense doesn't turn into bitterness and take root in your heart and make you stumble. Nelson Mandela said it one time perfectly. He said this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. See, some of you are you're hanging on to your offense and you're going, I'm not going to forgive my ex. I'm not going to forgive my coworker. I'm not going to forgive my fellow student. I'm not going to forgive my uncle, my parents, my kids. I'm not going to forgive because this is the reason why. They don't deserve it. And I would say this, they don't deserve it. You're right. But your life deserves it. You must forgive. Otherwise, you're guzzling the poison and hoping that they get sick. You're the one that's sick. You're the one that needs to be able to become healthy. This is super important. Just, just listen to this for a moment. Forgiving someone does not necessarily mean reconciliation with that person. Because some of you are like, well, I don't want a relationship. Fine, that's okay. In fact, I have relationships in my life that are completely broken on this side of eternity. Well, I want you to know, even as a pastor, I've had people that have hurt me deeply. I trusted them. They hurt me deeply. Now, they have another side of the story. They would say it's me. I say it's that. Okay, whatever. And this is what I've done. I've been like, I forgive you, but I also know that this relationship is broken. And I hope that this doesn't sound trite. I really believe this. 
someday it will all be put together again on the other side of eternity. And it's okay for this 80, 90 years or whatever. It's just, it's going to be broken. And, and I don't have to be BFF with them. I have to forgive them because it's beneficial for me. I will forgive them. Here, here, this is the thing. If some of you are like going, I will forgive them once they deserve it, then why did Jesus on the cross, when he was dying for our sin as a perfect individual, he had not sinned, he's dying for our sin, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Did we deserve it? No. But he forgave. And in the same way, we must, we must do that. Third step is this. Be quiet. <laughs> I mean, this is very appropriate for our day and age. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 15. Work at living at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see God. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, offense is contagious. It's contagious online and social media. And you see it all the time. People get on there. Let me share with you my heart today what happened at Target. And, and you know what? And people are like, oh, I can't believe that that associate did that. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm not going to Target anymore. You know, like, whatever. Like, there is all this contagious offense. Now, I would say this, and I'm being funny, but there's also contagious offense when it comes to real offense, real things. You know what the Bible says there? Is that, yeah, you can find some trusted others that you can share your offense with. And you know, it might even be a Christian counselor. In fact, I would highly recommend that for some of us. It may be a small group of close friends that are going to pray with us and feed us the right kind of information on how to get through that offense. Not just be cheerleaders of the offense. Because in life, you either have people that help guide you or people that cheerlead. Does that make sense? The guides are the ones that says, I understand you're offended, and I'm going to walk with you this. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to cry with you, and I'm going to help you move forward. The cheerleaders are like, be offended, be offended, be offended. All right, don't, don't be sharing that stuff with that group. Find a small group of people that you say, I could share my offense with, that they're going to help me. Maybe even it is a Christian counselor, but social media has created a space where offended people can gain consensus. And that is not helpful at all. In fact, in 1 Peter, speaking of Jesus, okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this about Jesus. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who's him? God the Father. Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father, who is the righteous and perfect judge, realizing that guess what? <laughs> that God is more than capable of being a scorekeeper and knowing what to do. That God is the one that sees everyone's actions. He knows what to do. And that, and that you know what? He is the righteous judge. And so we must entrust our future. We must entrust our expectation of getting an I'm sorry from that person. 
we must entrust justice, all of that to God. Because we can't make that happen. And if we carry that responsibility, we're carrying something that is going to prevent us from carrying the blessing of God. So Jesus himself, even though he was betrayed, entrusted it all to God the Father and said, you know what? I'm giving this to you, Father. You deal with it. I'm entrusting it. And so instead of entrusting justice to social media or Facebook or Instagram or anything else, instead say, I'm entrusting this whole situation to you. Fourth step is this, untie. Untie. Do you know the Aramaic word, which by the way, Jesus spoke Aramaic. Like how we speak English, he spoke Aramaic, all right? The Aramaic word for forgive literally means to untie. When you think about that. I want to invite Pastor Adam to come up here for a second. And uh, hey, Adam, what are you wearing today? Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Um, Forgiveness... Is, it's interesting, you know, when, when, you, when you tie yourself, okay, um, you know, in a sense where somebody, your friends, and let's say Adam here did something to me, maybe he was a business partner, maybe he's a good friend, maybe he's a relative, whatever, and he did something to me that hurts me. Well, you know what, that in a sense ties me to him. My heart is tied, and that, that, that offense, that, that bitterness, I'm like tied to them. And every time I try to move forward, in life, I'm still tied to that offense. Whenever I try to progress in my relationship with Jesus, I'm still tied to that offense. And so when Jesus says to forgive, he literally was speaking the Aramaic word for forgive, and literally what people were hearing was untie. Think about this, untie. Now, forgiveness does not untie that person from the consequences that they deserve, That's a God thing. I'm entrusting, you know, this whole situation to God the Father. But what what you got to understand what it is, is when you forgive, you say, I am untying myself from that situation so that I can move forward in my life. Does that make sense? Thank you, Adam. Listen, this is so important. Forgiveness will set the prisoner free and realize the prisoner is you. Hear that? So, as we close, how do you know when you've completely untied yourself from that situation? Like if I'm you right now listening to me, I'm thinking to myself, all right, I go through these steps. By the way, it may take days and weeks and months and maybe even for some of us, depending on the level of hurt, years. But we go through these steps. How do I know I'm free? How do I know I'm free? Well, for me personally, I'll tell you how I know I was, knew I was free. When specifically one person really hurt and damaged me years and years ago. Um, I was very hurt, angry, mad. And some of us, by the way, we, we flesh out hurt in different ways. Some of us become depressed or kind of recluse in our hurt some of us become angry like I'm an Enneagram 8 so for me I'm like if someone hurts me my my reaction to hurt is like I'm going to punish you <laughs> see some of you are that way some of you are like going when you get hurt you go on the offense right that's me so I was angry I was frustrated I was rooting against my arch rival I'll tell you how I found out that I was free 
is that I remember I was doing these four steps and I had to do them a long time. And then one day I woke up and I'm like, wow, I'm no longer rooting against my arch rival. That's how you know you're free. You're no longer rooting against your ex. You're no longer rooting against your ex-business partner, that employee or that boss, that pastor or that church, that relative or that friend that hurts you. You're no longer rooting against them. In fact, I can stand before you today and say that regarding the person I was talking to before who remain unnamed, I today can stand up here and say with absolute honesty, I hope their life is blessed. I hope their marriage is blessed. I hope their kids are blessed. I hope financially they're blessed. I hope their career is blessed. Like, I've untied myself. And I'm no longer bound to this bitterness and anger and rooting against my arch rival. I can honestly say, I don't like what that person did. I totally disagree with what they did. And yet, I hope that they're blessed. And someday on the, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but on the other side of eternity, I'm sure we're going to be friends again. The relationship is broken, but that person is forgiven. And I pray that they're blessed. Do you hear the difference? So let's not root against our arch rivals. Or better yet, let's say it this way. Let's work on these four steps so that someday we are untied from that situation to the degree that we don't root against our arch rival anymore. Let me go ahead and pray with you, okay? There we head bowed, never eye closed. I'd like to lead us in a prayer. I know I, I, I often do this, but I want to lead us in a prayer of untying ourselves. I know that sounds like a weird prayer. Don't, don't, I'm not trying to be weird here or hokey. But based upon that Aramaic word and based upon that illustration, some of us today need to start the process of untying ourselves. And so I'm going to have us all repeat a prayer. And maybe this prayer is very relevant, resonates with where you're at right now because you're highly offended. Maybe not. Maybe it's kind of like one of those things where you just hang on to this prayer for someday. But let's all say this prayer together. And it's a prayer of saying, God, I'm asking you to untie me from the situation. I want to forgive this person so that I can receive your blessing. So you repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I ask for your help to untie myself, my heart and my soul from that situation that has hurt me. I forgive. You fill in the name. God, I don't want to, but I know I need to. Give me strength to forgive and to move on so I won't stay offended. I want to receive your blessing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God praise today. Can we do that?